0: have a hook here so you're going to have to bear with me because I'm going to add the hook and then I'm going to bring it in later so let's start there once upon a time there was a little girl who did not have a lot of friends but she had an amazing imagination and therefore she did have a lot of friends in her mind and that was me and when i was younger my dad was in charge of taking care of me in the evenings cuz my mom was in college and my dad who was a musician wasn't sure what to do with a little girl that would be fun. So we set up a music room in our house. And we had a music room with um, piano and all kinds of South American percussive instruments and trumpets, and then when I was nine, he bought me a saxophone from a pawn shop. And that was rad, because we could rock to Marvin Gaye and um, all different Motown, and we'd even work on like this dance step. You know that? Like all the dance steps and the choreographed jams, and we'd work on parts and Stevie Wonder parts. And um, yeah, we did that for hours and hours and hours all the time. And that was just my life when I was a kid. But when it was time for me to join band at school, I looked at my horn and I was really embarrassed because my dad had gotten me this really cheap student horn from a pawn shop, and it had a nasty old vintage tweed case. Not that that would be considered cool now. It is cool now, but back then, everyone else had those very box, brand-new black cases. And so when I would go to school and have to wait in the bus line, I'd be really embarrassed. So I started going to school an hour early because I, with my mom, get a ride when she was on her way to work, because I was so embarrassed, and I'd go and hide my case. Um, so yeah, I, I was embarrassed of my case, and I would practice, and I was interested in band and cared a lot about band, but I didn't know where it would take me. And so we're going to pause that story, and now we're going to transfer and talk about something quite unrelated that will come in later. Um, Always remembering that behind every story comes the grace of God. And tonight, the grace of God is going to be talked about in the life of Joseph, Joseph being um, the man who raised Jesus. We're talking about Joseph last week. Mike talked about how Joseph was a man who very well could have had a very mundane, wonderful, um, just run-of-the-mill kind of life for a Jewish man until, dun-dun-dun, God interrupted with the big news that his uh, betrothed was going to have a child that was not from him. And so now we're talking about Joseph on his second stage in the sermon series of Life of a Hero where his personal life and the epic life of a hero converge um joseph of course being a secondary character christ being the primary character and joseph's role in the bible is not very big in fact he's not even mentioned in all the gospels he's mentioned in two gospels and he doesn't even have any lines but he's a pretty big deal person because it is upon his obedience upon the back of his obedience that god's plan can come to fruition I kind of think of him like a nail, a nail that holds a beautiful painting. Without that support, without that staunch, strong, supportive role of a nail, the painting can't be held up for everybody to uh, appreciate. And we don't hear Joseph talk, but we can almost imagine him listening. Joseph listening as uh, he learns that Mary is pregnant with a baby that's not his own. Joseph listening as the angel tells him to not divorce his uh, betrothed, and Joseph listening to innkeeper after innkeeper after innkeeper as they tell him, um, sorry, we don't have room for you. Joseph listening as he is told he can use a manger. And Joseph also listening to the still small voice of God and the, the Old Testament laws that guide the obedience of the steps that he's going to take. He's a man who listens to what is happening, but he's also referring back to the traditions of his ancestors that are very, very important and dear to him. And so that's where we're going to catch upon this story in the verse. He is on his way, taking Mary and Jesus to the temple so that they can be presented. So it should be up here. I'm going to read verse 22 of Luke 2. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you, Lord, for blessing our church. I pray tonight, Father God, that if there are things that you want me to share that, um, that are not in my notes, that you would make me aware of them. And I pray, Father God, that you have something for each of us, Lord, tonight. You are very good and very awesome. Amen. Okay, so we know from this genealogy that Joseph um, comes from the line of David. He's come from long, 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 long genealogy of old-fashioned Jews who know the customs. They know what you're supposed to do and when you're supposed to do it, and they're very devout people. These are very devout people that are... um, they're really full of tradition, and it's beautiful. And they're to the letter of the law because, I mean, you've read the Old Testament, right? There's so many laws and so detailed, and yet that for them was a way of worship. And so by the grace of God, they would follow these laws to a T. So they were obedient and righteous, and Joseph, being obedient and righteous, takes Mary to the temple to be purified for the 40th, um, on the 40th day. This isn't the circumcision. Um, rather, this is a paying of money. Um, or a sacrifice because she is unclean due to the ceremonial um, laws after having a baby and after having her firstborn. So she's doing, she's doing the purification process. And it alludes that Mary and Joseph are giving two young pigeons because they don't have a ton of money. But they do have a money and they do have income. Joseph is a carpenter and so they give what they can. Luke is making it clear here that the people that are raising Jesus, Jesus are obedient people. They're dutiful people. They're respectful people, and they respect the traditions. They follow the laws that are given in the Old Testament. Um, All the people that surround Jesus' birth have a heritage of a devotion to God. And in the temple at this time is a guy named Simeon. And I think if Simeon was around today, I would hope he would hang out at Scum of the Earth. Because I like this guy. People seem to think that he was old, but the only reason they think he's old is because he basically says, I can't wait to die. To me, that doesn't say you're old. To me, that says you can't wait to die because this earth sucks. Um, So maybe he kind of got that like a lot of us do. Either way, we don't know if he was old. It doesn't say he's old. But we know that he had this burden. He's this kind of guy... that has social justice written through him and drenched in him he wants to know god he wants to hang with god he needs to hang out at the temple to see it for himself he's one of those guys that the holy spirit was always 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 on and we hear a lot of instances where the holy spirit would come upon people for um a particular task but the holy spirit was on this guy and for that very reason, he's been waiting, almost like a night watchman, waiting for some action for a, for a long time. Um, and that, uh, the feeling of this man, and I think I've felt this in my heart, and I don't know if you've felt this in your heart, but when I read verses like this in Romans that I'm going to read, it reminds me of that feeling. That feeling like, ugh, there is beauty in this earth Christmas trees are awesome, snow is awesome, but this sucks. This world cannot be all that there is. I am waiting for God to redeem this because it is gnarly, and I do not like this earth and this world and the way we treat each other. So anyway, looking on to the good things, um, Romans eight eighteen through 22, Paul reminds us um, by saying, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated, we will be liberated, from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. And I think that's the spirit that was on Simeon, that just waited for something more. So Simeon, he's a holy man. He's not a priest, but he's a person that's waiting for the restoration for Israel. They had been in exile for over 600 years. And we don't know what it's like to be in exile, let alone 600 years. And we get peeved at the injustices for other people, but imagine the injustices being done to your own people. That would just be gnarly. And I picture him waiting, and here comes a beautiful holy family, Jesus and Mary and Joseph And Jesus didn't need to be there. They didn't need to bring the baby, but they did. And for some reason, um, with God, it's not a coincidence. For some reason, they're all there at the same time. And Simeon says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, being Jesus, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. And also, glory to Israel. So, Joseph is seeing now the twofold dimensions of this prophecy about this baby. This epic vision, this epic prophecy about what his life will entail now. Wow, all of the Gentiles learning about the beautiful Old Testament traditions and being redeemed as well. And the glory of Israel, finally, the glory of a people in exile and Simeon's prophecy doesn't stop there because there's some more full truth that he has to tell to Mary and so he looks at her and he basically says the child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and will be a sign and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too and i can't imagine how joseph would feel knowing that his child the child he will raise will have to go through immense pain. And seeing this prophet tell his wife, you're gonna go through a lot of pain and a sword will go through your soul, ouch. And yet it's for God's glory. And how it all works together, it's so hard to understand, but not being angry at God and not shutting off, even though there's gonna be some gnarly stuff to come, but understanding and trusting that God's will is bigger than him. And lastly, we read about Anna. She is old. We're told she's old because she's been married and now she's been a widow like 84 years. And we don't know if she lived at the temple or if she just hung out there all the time. It says she was always there um, giving thanksgiving. But it's beautiful that God gave us a male and a female witness to Jesus. Um, Full circle, we get a beautiful witness to Jesus coming. There's thanksgiving and there's praise. And everybody can hear about what this baby is going to do and what there is to look forward to. The, The redemption of Jerusalem everybody would have heard about that and i think of joseph beginning on this quest and i want to use the word quest even though like for me i don't know about you it conjures up visions of fairies and renaissance fairs and i don't know really good looking guys with goatees and swords um That's kind of a quest kind of idea. But I think that the word is right, quest, because there's something he has to do. There's something Joseph has to do. It's not just an attitude and a belief. Yeah, it's awesome to have a good attitude and be a good person and have good beliefs about God. But sometimes we're called to do some crazy, gnarly things. And Joseph is going to have to see this prophecy through fruition. He's going to have to raise this kid somehow on this quest. Um, and he is a man of strong conviction, he's compassionate, he's hardworking, he's traditional, he's devout, Um, but he must somehow retain all that is good about him in the midst of being put on a pedestal now. Because whether he likes it or not, all eyes are on him, right? There's a star over his home. People are bringing his child expensive gifts. All eyes are on him. And there's a big accountability and responsibility that comes with everybody looking at you, right? And even though he's godly and even though he's obedient, it doesn't mean that people aren't going to be looking to see what he's doing. And I kind of think of scum of the earth, and I kind of think of all the money that we've raised and the building that we're finally going to be back in and how all eyes in the community will look at us and say, wow, what are they doing with that building? It's a beautiful thing to have a star over you, a beautiful thing to have a star that says, God did something. We did not do it, but, but, but for the grace of God, we would not have this building. However, there's a responsibility and accountability that comes with God blessing something that our hands have touched. Um... And kind of back to that story with the little girl on the saxophone. She kept playing it, and she kept playing it, and she kept playing it. And one day, she joined a band, and the band got big for some reason. And one day, a bunch of people from Kickstarter gave a bunch of money. And that's really cool, but a lot of pressure on a person who wants to be obedient and give God back the glory. And I guess I would say that um, being on a pedestal... Has its moments, but for me, there was a dark season of it as well. When you get put on a pedestal, you have even further to fall. And when people kiss your ass day in and day out, you start to act like a big jerk. And you want things quicker than people normally give. And so you can go away on tour and be one person and then come back and expect everyone to revolve around you, and why don't they care? (laughs) So I guess I say that because. There's nothing that anyone can ever do to receive God's glory except for be obedient. And obedience is not something to put on a pedestal. It's the grace of God that we put on a pedestal. If anything, we need to be holding each other accountable in a beautiful, prayerful way rather than wait for each other to fall and rather than watch people knowing that they're going to crumble at some point because they will. And we don't know and we don't have records of where Mary and Joseph screwed up. We do know um, from the Bible that Joseph's children didn't all believe in Jesus until they were older. Um, I don't know why. Sometimes that's life. You think of this wonderful, awesome, obedient, godly man. Did he struggle with that? He probably struggled with that. As a parent, who wouldn't struggle with that? Raising Jesus on one end and having brothers and sisters of Jesus that didn't necessarily believe in his Christhood. I don't know what that's like. I don't know the dichotomy of that. But he remained obedient in all of it. And I think it was his obedience and his willingness to look internally that kept Joseph behaving correctly externally. There's a weird dynamic that comes with being a Christian, and we talk about this a lot, Um, the internal and the external, what we believe and how it affects what we do, and what we do and how it affects what we believe. Um, And so I think it's so important that we look at all of those things in light of obedience. And sometimes life looks really mundane, going to church, going to small group, singing the songs, reading your Bible, and there's no big peak, no place where it's like, whoa, I heard the voice of God here. Whoa, I heard the voice of God here. Sometimes that happens, but sometimes you can go a long season without that happening. And does there need to be a reason to do the mundane, plain things? Yes, because that's where God can bust in and surprise us. If we're not there, we can't be surprised by a building. If we're not there, we can't be surprised by a friendship that we didn't know would bless our socks off. If we're not there, we can't be surprised by a worship song that's going to stir something in our soul. We don't know the recipe. The recipe is just do it. Sorry, that sounds really boring and lame, but honestly, there's nothing more exciting than day-to-day seeking God in his word. There's nothing more exciting than seeking God in other people that we know. Nothing more amazing and mind-blowing than simply going to church. And I really mean that. It rocks. It rocks because so many things God God is doing can't be summed up in just a simple service. But it's what he's doing that is long-term, the longevity of creating our character, the iron sharpening iron that can't happen to a rock when it's not in the river constantly, constantly, constantly over time. And when you hear people say, yeah, but I already heard that at church once before. Well, you're not doing it. I'm sorry. You heard it. You heard it once, and then you thought, I mean, what happened to the behaving that way? Like, I need to hear it a lot. Sorry. (laughs) Maybe that's just me. I need to hear it again and again and again before I can behave on it. Um, C.S. Lewis has a beautiful quote about this um, from Mere Christianity, and I love this quote. Um, It's kind of gnarly, but I think it's probably true, and it says, Every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different than what it was before. And taking your life as a whole, with all your innumerable choices, all of your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing either into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature, either a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself, or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. Each of us at each moment is progressing to one state or the other. Every small choice creates a lifetime of splendor or being a big fat you or drag. And you could be a big fat you or drag and have a smile on your face and nobody would know. But I would rather live in splendor and take and fight. And if I fall, fight again. And if you fall, fight again. And if you fall, fight again. The problem, if you mess up, is if you... Let's say you're a drummer and you get off the Metrodome, Right? If you throw your sticks and have a big old fit, it's going to take the band 20 more minutes to get back into the song. But if you just breathe and keep going, you can get right on the beat faster. Because sometimes when you take a big long time, it takes a lot more time to get back. Or like, I like to think of it like that. When you get home and you want to go out that night, if you put on your sweats, you're not going to go out. You know it. (laughs) It Takes a lot longer if you sit on the couch and put on your sweats and sit back. If you just stand there and then go out, you'll do it, right? Anyway, I like those metaphors a little better than some of them given in the Bible. So, um, <laughs> The race is a good one, but I don't do races too much, so I kind of like the, the go out one. Like Joseph, if we hold fast to the path God has put on us, we will dutifully get there. God has surprises for each and every one of us, and wants to bust into the mundane. Who knows how God is going to bless you when you go to your small group, or when you stick with the relationships that are hard, or when you have that awkward conversation about someone who needs to love you a little better? Um, My prayer for us in this Advent season is that we would recognize that it's worth the fight. And we would also recognize that there is something very beautiful about tradition. Our culture doesn't have a ton of traditions. We don't um, necessarily, even especially at our church, I I feel guilty about this. We don't know all of the old traditions. um, But they're beautiful, and they matter. And one that we do still do and that we do recognize as beautiful is communion. We're going to take communion tonight. Um, Communion is a gorgeous, beautiful, symbolic way to do an action. We will be eating. We will be touching food to our lips We will be doing something but it's also an attitude a belief if we don't believe that the communion connects us with god if we don't take that time to thank him for his sacrifice jesus for his sacrifice then it's just an action so it's so important to recognize that this is a beautiful custom that churches all over the world do here at scum of the earth the way that we do communion um, is there will be stations Well, there's not very many people up there, so maybe you guys would want to come down. And um, we'll have gluten-free over here waiting for everybody to get going. If you don't want to take communion because you aren't a follower of Christ but would like to be prayed for, you can put your arms like this and come up and someone will pray for you. Um, And that's also important. If you just want some prayer or if you need some time to reflect and talk to God, um, I have a small prayer I'd like to pray if you would bow your heads with me. Father God, when we observe the actions of Joseph, this mature, responsible man, when we study his compassionate involvement, his disciplined restraint, his plain obedience all woven together into righteous action, we know that we too, each of us, can live in accordance with your will for our lives. I pray, Father God, that you would bust into the main a mundane for each of us this Christmas season, Lord, and surprise us with your splendor, Lord. Amen.